As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and yes... Sportsman drag racers. Big Jed is joining me today as always. How are you, sir? Luke, I'm well. I'm well. I appreciate you asking. I do like talking about all those things you just discussed and all the things that we're going to discuss. We're going to talk about people that are performing very well within our sport, which is uh, something we love doing. We love highlighting those performances. Uh, I won't uh, have a performance worthy of, uh, of mentioning on the show from a racing standpoint, but uh, I think. Our boy, Gare Bear, Mr. Gary Bogacki, uh, does have a performance worthy of mentioning on the show. So we're just going to get that right out here in front. What Gary do this weekend? Why not? My man won junior drag strip, I-57 drag strip, first win of 2022, second win of his young career, third final round of the season. He's been doing great. Now, granted, there was there was four cars at, I-20, at, at I-57. Let's not get too excited. But there's two rounds of buybacks. So he yeah. won four rounds. He never bought back. He's, he's never had a light outside the fives. He's nine years old. Like, way to go, Gare. Luke, all you can do is beat everybody that shows up. And that's, that's what he did, whether there's that's, 400 or four. He, he just got to beat everybody there, that shows up. He rolled up there for fifth round. It ain't his fault there's nobody left. <laughs> got to pull the shoots. The, the, the laundry is out. Yeah, shoots that's for awesome. Gary. Shoots for Gary. That was uh, – the, the shoot was actually the, uh, his Christmas gift this year. And, uh, he got it out. I, I told him I'd pull the pin in, in any final. If he made the final, he was welcome to pull it. So he actually got it out last week in his runner up effort, but, uh, I think it hit a little bit harder for him to, uh, to, to pull the laundry after seeing the final win light Saturday night. 
that is awesome stuff. Congratulations, Gary Bogacki, the second of many, my friend. Luke, what are we going to talk about this week? We've got a big show on tap. We have crowned a Super Street National Champion. It's over. We score one for the ladies in terms of uh, first female division director in NHRA history. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, news breaking, but Andy Schmall, Corey Galetti, they're good at racing. Oh, and wow. Big Ched, Scotty's back. Hunter's back. What? And, and Boo's back. What? All that and more, but first. P.J. North. This here is that moment to go green, hit the tree, and drive a strike just like you. All right, Big Jed. On the on the calendar last week, we had a, a trio of big dollar bracket races that caught our attention. We had a trio of events on the NHRA tour. Where do you want to start? Oh, Luke, I think we should start in the Northeast at uh, MIR and and Wesley King Washington. of the Creek. Wesley Washington Jr. Uh, putting on his King of the Creek. Man, it looked like those guys had a really good event there at a, at a great place to race. And uh, what some stories that come out of there, Luke. I mean, there were some dominant performances, but one guy stood out. I know that uh, that you know what's happened there, but uh, Corey Gulletti, my goodness. That young man went on a rampage up there, bud. Yes, he did. I used to race with a guy that had Rampage on the side of his car. Oh, man, made, yeah. He made me think of David Broadnax right there. So, <laughs> first off, King of the Creek. I mean, it's not it's not Mutt and, Jess, Mutt, Mutt and Jeff, but it's a pretty good name for a race. King of the Creek. It's just got a nice ring to it. It does have a very good ring to it. Corey Galetti, yes, dominating performance. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Big Jed. They start this thing off on Thursday. Corey Galetti and Bailey Ferraro split and quit the Thursday $10,000 final. Teammate split and quit. Corey comes back around Friday, opening 25 grander, advances to the semifinals, loses at three cars, follows that up Saturday, 25 grander, with the main event win. Uh, also defeated the aforementioned Bailey Ferraro teammate. Uh, in the semifinal round. So I don't know what Corey accomplished on Sunday, but it doesn't really matter. That is one of those weekends that you're not soon going to forget. No, you're definitely not going to forget that on a big stage and uh, certainly a place that, that he's not super familiar with. I'm not even sure he's been to MIR for any other reason. So uh, to, to go to a, a new place to you and perform like that on such a big stage Corey's had a lot of special days at the racetrack, but I imagine uh, this, or a lot of special weekends, but I imagine this one's right up there. And of course, you know, his, his partner, same team, same trailer, Bales, uh, you know, meeting him in the final on day one. And then those guys raced the semi on a Saturday 25. Really good weekend for all of Team McCarty Auto Parts and, uh, and certainly those two individuals specifically. But Really strong performance there from Corey. And, you know, not that that's a big surprise, but um, he had a little stretch here probably in the last 18 months where he wasn't the Corey Galitti that we've all fallen in love with and got to know. But here in the last few months, this young man has been on a tear and is performing extremely well. So, you know, he's, he's doing it, um, I guess, not at the – what you'd consider the premier event every time the weekend rolls around, 
but he's doing it at hard to win places and hard to win races. And as the stakes grow higher later this year and, and the events get bigger and bigger, I uh, would expect to see Corey getting his share of it. This young man's just tearing him up. Bailey as well. Really good performance for him. Yeah, I was going to say something to that effect for, for Corey Galetti. Like, I feel like he's having as good a season as anyone in as in as quiet a way as you can win like 10 and 20 granders with, with re- repeatedly, right. Yeah. <laughs> because he's, he's not, you know, winning the the hundred granders. Like we're not talking about him in the same way that we're talking about Stephen McCrory or Jeff Sarah or Gary Williams. Right. But sure. Corey has graced the winner circle this season, what, four or five times at, at major events, right? So as, as quietly as you can dominate at this level, I feel like that's what Corey Gladys done to this point this season. Yeah, I agree. Very well said. Um, you know, if, if there is such a thing as quiet when you're winning the kind of races he's winning, he is doing it quietly. But, um, you know, as you and I both know, what he's winning is just as hard to win as, as when the stakes are a little higher. Um, this is tough competition on a very high level and regardless of what the, the check looks like at the end of the day. And it's been impressive uh, that the performance is still equal to anybody else that's winning bigger numbers. So Corey's, uh, Corey's back. He is, uh, he's definitely doing his share of winning right now. And I expect to you know see that continue because he has proven when he gets on a roll, he is a handful. Other winners from the weekend in Maryland at the King of the Creek. How about Jumping John Dustin getting the win on Saturdays, uh, Fridays, I'm sorry, 25 grander. Jumping John Dustin, one of my favorite racers. I haven't seen John in years. Good dude. Cool to see him win. And uh, and friend of the podcast, Loose Change. Jason Overstreet gets the win in his beloved Vega in Sunday's 10 grander over Gallon Hat. I mean, Alan Glatt. And uh, Loose Change, oh, by the way. Also earned King of the Creek honors, the the overall weekend points championship. And I don't know if you got a chance to follow along with this at all, Jed. This had, which it's no surprise because I feel like a lot of what Wesley Washington has done is is been patterned to some degree off of what I know was always Wesley's favorite race, the the Moroso Five Day, right? But the the weekend points championship here, and the way that at least Wesley, I think I was seeing Wesley's Facebook updates. He was giving a daily update, you know, here's the point sheet after Friday, here's the point sheet after Saturday. It very much had Moroso five-day vibes, right? Like that I was paying more attention to the points championship than I even was necessarily who won. And that's cool. Like that's very much a throwback to, to West Palm. So kudos to, to Wesley for putting that together. Kudos to Loose Change for ultimately uh, holding that crown king of the creek. Yeah, King of the Creek is, uh, you know, that's a great title to have uh, whenever you're done with your accomplishments in racing to to have a, a King of the Creek championship, as you said, a cool name for the event and certainly uh, something that, that shows you had a great performance and uh, on a big stage. So super happy for Loose Change. He's my buddy uh, getting a 10K win and then collecting the points championship is really cool. Alan Glatt, obviously, uh, you know, a perennial power there and in, in big money races and certainly in that part of the country doing it at home for a change. So good for Glatt and uh, Jumping John Dustin, you know, the, it's kind of the all nickname, loose change and Jumping John getting it done, kind of the all nickname deal. Of course, the guy putting a race on is known uh, affectionately as Boo. 
So uh, really happy for Wesley. As you said, Luke, I thought Wesley did a great job of his social media presence. I don't know if he was doing it himself or if he's got a staff member, but nonetheless, um, I was able to keep up with what was going on there fairly easily with a glance or two at Facebook here and there. So kudos to Wesley for his social media presence, his live videos and all those things that he does to make sure that um, that he was putting his race out there for people to see it work to perfection and uh, and happy to see him have a successful event. We we know Wesley's journey and it's had its ups and downs and right now it's on a on an uptick and um, hope that continues for him. If Boo don't pat the gas, you get your money back. I've told that story <laughs> on the podcast, haven't I? I don't remember it. So I'm betting with the guys in the stands at Moroso 15 years ago. And that group, that they still travel to a lot of the big dollar races. But that group is a bunch of guys from the Northeast that are in love with, you cannot get a bet against, or yeah, you, you, cannot, you cannot get a bet on Peter and you cannot get a bet on Wesley with that group. Like those are the heroes, or certainly they were at that time, right? You, if you want to bet against them, you are going to bet the whole grandstand. And nobody would bet against Wesley in one round. And one of them stood up and said, if boo don't pat the gas, you get your money back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Wesley's a man of many nicknames. You got, you got boo, you got WW dot one of my all time favorites. But to, to your point, Jed, part of, of, of what we do here on the podcast is we, we pride ourselves on telling it like it is. So it was a few years ago and I don't even, specifically remember the situation now but but Wesley had put on an event that went awry right and I believe he had to cut purses or cut a points fund or something like it, it just wasn't a good look and I felt like we had no choice but to 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 rail against that and be like look you know I, I like Wesley but you know you can't you can't stand for this and um and we did that and it kind of pains me to to do that you know some to to someone like Wesley that I really look up to that I that I have always thought a lot of So I'm really happy on a very personal level to see him get back to having success as a promoter. And and I feel like to your point, at least from the outside, all of the boxes were checked here and you say glad for, for racing in that part of the country. And just personally like happy for Wesley. Glad this went well. Yeah, most definitely. And as you said, you know, we, we do feel a responsibility to, to tell the real story, even when it's not something that we, we like to talk about or, uh, that we we certainly want to talk about, but uh, that is a responsibility that you and I both feel. And uh, we we had to tell the story as it was, so we didn't run anybody down. We just told the told the facts that, as we knew them. And um, that was not the that was not the Wesley we know, and it was not the Wesley that he wanted to be. And you know, most people, and I I would probably be in the group of most people uh, having going through that probably just avoid this this scene this this type of situation ever again i just would would probably have gotten out of it altogether so kudos to wesley for uh, getting everything straight coming back and sticking to his uh, idea and his dreams and making stuff like this happen successfully really really proud and happy for him and we're going to slowly work our way west in the, the, the big dollar bracket coverage from the weekend. We're going to make our way from Maryland to Ohio. Dragway 42 for the ace race. Uh, this one, I believe, SummerSlam. It's another pretty good, pretty good race name. 
Yeah, I mean, this is full of great race names. SummerSlam, I mean, that sounds like a wrestling event, but in this case, it was a drag race. And it a sounds good like one. something you order at Denny's. <laughs> yeah, it does. Big story but, from SummerSlam is, is really, it's a man that didn't win a race, but Big Jed, Hunter's back. Honey Wayne's back. Yeah, you know, that was a, that's a great thing to see. Um, I, I got to see Hunter at the Dream Team event, and uh, he raced well. Uh, didn't didn't make a whole lot of noise, but he raced well. So he obviously hasn't lost anything. But coming back on a big stage and and competing with you know people that are very very talented and great equipment, and him doing his thing and and making his presence known at the level that he did at the Ace Race, really good to see. Really happy for Hunter. That, that he was able to get back to doing what he does. Yeah, just to to recap, Hunter didn't win a day at at, uh, at Drago Forty Two, but he got as close as you could get without winning. I believe it was Saturday's twenty grander. Hunter Patton had two entries in at five, had to run himself on the ladder, uh, advanced one, then to the final round where he turned it red to Steve Holowecki. Uh, who got the $20,000 win. Hunter then came back later that night in a, uh, a race for, I believe it was an American dragster, American race cars, uh, dragster chassis. Once again, drove to the final, once again, came up just short uh, runner up to Jerry Hollingsworth in that shootout. So two runner ups in one day, I think the uh, post that Hunter had made on Facebook said 23 runs down the racetrack on Saturday alone, uh, obviously making nice laps, making Hunter Patton esque laps. Um, Pretty impressive for a guy that has been in the seat, I think, one other time um, this season. Uh, other winners, and, and I want to circle back to, to Hunter, other winners, uh, just so that we don't overlook anyone else. Chase McKay won the opening $20,000 event over Ed Jeruzic. Chris Bear won the final $20,000 race. Chris Bear in the truck, closing that door as he staged up for twenty grand at the win over, I believe, a red-lighting Randy Biddle Sr. Jed, back to Hunter. So... I've been, I've been, I'm, most of our listeners, I think, know that, that you and I both like hoops heads kind of to the extreme at times. So one of my favorite podcasts is, uh, it's uh, called Titus and Tate. And it's just, it's two snarky white dudes, like making fun of everything that has to do with basketball. It's hilarious, right? You just, you, I, you might, you might have to grow into it a little bit, but they're, they're great. So yeah, one I, know of who, the things, I know who Titus and Tate are. It's, okay. it's good. It's a good podcast. It's a good podcast. So one of the, one of the things that they've been on recently is uh, I don't know if it's a basketball thing as much as it is a, a pop culture thing, but like, you know, young men staring into the camera going, I'm him, I'm him. Right. He's me. I'm him. And um, so the, their spinoff on that is like, who's the himest him like in the NBA or in college basketball, like who's the guy that's because to, to be him, like you, you obviously have to be super talented, but you also have to project the idea that, you know, you are super talented. Like, I mean, who's going to stare in the camera and go, I'm him, right? Yeah. That guy, right? So my question for you is like, is, is Hunter him? Because Hunter's, he doesn't just come off directly. Like I couldn't imagine him, imagine him staring into the camera and going, I'm him. But that is absolutely the swagger that he personifies, right? And to, to, to roll in after, after going through what he went through last year, obviously all completely self-inflicted. But to, to basically just kind of reappear on the scene, obviously, uh, Hunter's not welcome at NHRA events through, I think, the end of 2022. 
this was an IHRA track, big dollar bracket race, but Hunter just rolls right back into that scene and like hasn't missed a step at all. And I just feel like to to do that requires some level of that swagger. Yeah, I can only imagine, um, you know, how the, the foam in the mouth that, that Hunter had just to get back and do his thing and not necessarily repair his reputation because I think anybody that knows Hunter knows that was an isolated thing and just a, a, a poor judgment decision in the heat of the moment, but not really who he is day in and day out. Uh, so I feel like he was foaming at the mouth to get back and, and just get back to doing what he does. And for him to come back and do it so quickly certainly is, is the swagger that we're used to out of Hunter and um, something that, you know, I would consider a major accomplishment yet. I know deep inside of Hunter, he's pissed because he didn't turn on the final win light. You know, it's like, I, I still know how to do this. I, although I haven't, had a lot of seat time I should have won and I should have probably won multiple days so Hunter's going to get his share of, of final round win lights and big paychecks and uh, really happy to see him get back to a quick start doing that uh, here at the ace race yeah no I mean that that swagger I feel like from the way that he carries himself to the way that he stages to just everything right and and to be completely um, transparent here I I, I like the him is Tim. Like it's not a, it's not an indictment. It, it's a, because the truth is, I, I whether you show it externally or not, and I don't really think Hunter does, but I think to some extent, every like uber successful racer, they have that in them. Like there is a whether it's it shows up externally or not. Like there is not, you, you name off the elite, whatever, the top three, the top 10, the top dozen racers, there's not one of them that doesn't in their heart of hearts believe that they're the best one there, right? I, I just feel like you have to, in order to, to be able to perform at that level. So they're all him, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it just, it seems to, to exude from Hunter in a way that makes him really polarizing. Right. And, and that was certainly on display last October. Like you either love him or you hate him. And I don't, I don't know that he cares a whole lot and that's part of being him. Right. Yeah. I think that's well said. I, I don't think Hunter cares a whole lot, but I almost feel like Hunter has more people pulling for him after everything he's been through than he does against him. I, you know, it might've just been the vibe I saw at the dream team event, but there was a lot of people just happy to see him there and happy to see him competing. And I'm sure the same happened here at the ACE race. Um, so it Hunter might be feeling a little different level of support than what he was feeling at the time of his bad decision last year um so you know I don't, maybe that's driving him maybe he doesn't care if they support him or not i don't know but whatever's whatever's going on in his mind and and got his his mental where it is uh it's working <laughs> it's back where it always has been and you know i i expect to see hunter get back to just being hunter and that whole thing that happened prior is just going to be a you know a blip on the radar 
I think you're probably right in that we're seeing like a almost a, kind of reminiscent to what we talked about with, with Johnny Ezell in terms of the, the, the public persona. Uh, I feel like the narrative around Hunter is, is changing, right? That, that people are, are, you're probably right that there are more people rooting for him than against him, or, or it certainly is beginning to trend that way. But I, I would actually push back on that and say, don't tell Hunter that, because I do think he is one that is absolutely <laughs> driven by the chip on the shoulder. Like, I'm going to find somebody that doesn't believe and I'm going to go change their mind. Like, I think that's part of what drives him. Yeah, uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. It could definitely be the case. I think uh, it was interesting, too, because uh, Hunter made the, the drag champ top 10 uh, last week for this performance, obviously, rightfully so. But the, the write-up that Gary Don and the guys did at, at Drag Champ, like it, I don't have it in front of me, but it ended with something like, you know, this is eerily reminiscent. This, this feels like the kickoff of another one of those Hunter Patton runs. And I read that and I laughed and I thought, he can't race anywhere. Like, where, where's, where's he going to go on a run, right? Like, he can't go. And then I thought about it a little bit and I, I could be mistaken. I haven't really researched this at all, but the majority of the, the big bracket events on the upcoming calendar, the immediately upcoming calendar, are at IHRA facilities. Like you've got the the SFG uh, million at US 131 with, I, it's like a two week thing this year. There's there's a big race prior to that. You've mm-hmm. got the the 50 grander at Stanton, Michigan. Like I would assume that Hunter's going to be welcome at those events. Like Gary might actually be onto something. Like this might actually kick off a midsummer run where we're talking about Hunter a lot. Could very well. Uh, definitely, he is obviously welcome at those facilities. You know, you do have spring flings at uh, at Columbus and Bristol. So those are events that he won't get to attend. But there are plenty of events that he will get to attend that, that he's eligible for. And, you know, again, I fully expect him to, to make plenty of noise at him. So um, his his run, while hard to say is likely, it is uh, somewhat expected for sure. All right, let's continue slowly working our way west across the country. We're going to get to the last big dollar race we're going to talk about this week. That was the SFG event, Cedar Falls, Iowa. Uh, headline, like there's a lot of stories to come out of Cedar Falls, but I think the, uh, the, the, the most standout performance came from Andy Schmall. Yeah, Andy, you know, look, we, he's another one of those great racers that we've talked about quite a bit on the show and, and some would say at nauseum, but he is just incredible all the time, but on these big stages where he works his way through the no box side and then squares up with the, with the top bulbers and he just doesn't seem to miss a beat. You know, he's just capable of going out there and, competing with uh, with all the electronics like it's no big deal and he's hitting the bottom bulb and to to go out and win the the Thursday 10k and you know the notes on the show said not sure if he was off the bottom or the top I, I just would have to feel like he was off the bottom I just I think that's where he finds the most success and is the most comfortable if it was off the top then shame on me but no I'll clarify like I know that he came through the no box side Right. I just know like at Spring Fling Million, once he advanced through the no box side, he put the delay box in. And I don't know if that's allowed at the SFG races. I don't know if that's what he did. So I'm not sure about the last couple rounds. Yeah. And uh, n- neither am I, but 
regardless, um, just super impressive what he's able to accomplish, you know, um, multiple late round or final round finishes there. And, um, it, it, he just, he lives in an area that, that doesn't allow him to travel to a lot of big money races. I would just really love to see Andy on the East coast, you know, to get to spend five, six months out this way, traveling around and hitting these races. Uh, you know, I, honestly, I don't know that he has all the tools of a Nick Hastings, but he certainly is dominant on the bottom bulb and he is not intimidated by the transition into the top bulb rounds. I just really feel like this guy could, could continue to, to dominate and win tons of money given the avenues that, that these big money races are providing for, for bottom bulbers and uh, just would love to see him compete out here. It doesn't, the, where he lives doesn't diminish for me what he's accomplished because he's still racing great racers all the time. But, you know, I don't know, it's something about wanting to see him do it on the East Coast just to go ahead and stamp it and say he's one of the best there is, bar none, Lock City, just just come out here and show it. So I, I would like to see that. But either way, he still ranks in the top 10 for me easily. Small domination off the bottom. So Andy wins, obviously rolls through the no box side, wins the Thursday warm up $10,000 to win race. A day later, his brother Brandon wins the no box side, ultimately falls a little bit short of winning the main event. That win went to AJ Ash. And then on Saturday, Ran Andy himself Small. in the ran himself in the no box final, if I remember correctly, Luke. Brandon did. Yes. Wow. Yes, I think he advanced both entries to the no box final. And then Saturday, Andy rolls through no box once again, advances to the main event final, where he falls to Scotty Richardson. I think this gives us a pretty good jumping off point to sing the praises of Scotty Richardson, like is becoming a weekly thing at this point. Um, so Scotty makes the journey from Jackson, South Carolina. To Cedar Falls, Iowa. I don't know if you've got a map in front of you. That's not close. Um, and <laughs> it's a, it's all, it's about a foot on the map. So you know, if it's a foot <laughs> on the map, it's a long freaking way. I don't know if you if you caught any of of Scotty's social media. Like you're reading between the tea leaves a little bit, but uh, but he left his his post as the track manager at Edgewater and basically cited uh, part of the reasoning at least is hey, I want I want to go race some more. That's not good news for the big dollar bracket racing community. And he's off to a feverish start. If you remember, it was a week ago. Uh, we talked about Scotty following the SFG event, the SFG World Series uh, in Jackson, South Carolina, where he won, I believe, a 15 grander and then came back following day and lost in the door car final overall semis of a 75 grander. Then he packs up, hauls halfway across the country, picks up a $25,000 paycheck in Cedar Falls, Iowa. I think it's fair to say, um, Scotty's back. <laughs> well, yes, uh, he definitely is back, Luke. Uh, I don't know I, if he I, went anywhere, but he's back. Uh, I, I'm not connected with Scotty on social media, but I do get to see some shares here and there and things he posts and whatnot. And um, somewhere in that Carolina run, he posted everything for sale, was retiring. 
uh, retirement cell. He was done with cars, <laughs> cars, engines, <laughs> trucks, trailers, the whole thing. And uh, not sure what got sold out of the list, but um, obviously he changed his mind on some of that. And I don't, not the funny car hat Chevy too. I can't yeah. say that much. <laughs> it was for sale, but it didn't it didn't stay for sale long. But I imagine a lot of that was just playing around. But um, but he then he go drives across the country and and continues to win. Um, the last thing anybody wants to see, uh, from a competition standpoint is Scotty committing to, uh, traveling and hitting the big money races again, because <laughs> he is, uh, I mean, you're talking about a guy over 50 now and still able to go out and get it done. It, it's not very far from now. And I can say this because he and I are the same age that, that he's going to be considered, you know, an old guy. Now he, he could he'd be looked upon as that now because he's been doing this on a very high level for, for over three decades, uh, probably close to four decades. And uh, a lot of people consider him an old guy because of his tenure, but in age, you know, if you just didn't know him and you said uh, some guy over 50 uh, did this, uh, regardless of whose name it is, it's impressive. And then you, you talk about it being Scotty and him not, being fully committed to a racing schedule the last few years and, um, you know, still winning his share, obviously through million dollar races and everything else he's done. I mean, if this guy gets back to it on a regular basis and competes at all these races, I mean, he's just, he's already solidified his, his legacy in racing. He is just going to continue to pile on to it because he's going to get, plenty more of these wins and his share is uh, is already been taken and he's going to be taking other people's share it's just he's that damn good Luke. like like i said in our uh, pre-show discussion he, he's just that damn good and uh, it's super super impressive to see what scotty's accomplishing uh, with limited time at the races uh, full schedule gonna be bad news for the rest of us he's him he might be the himest him He's probably the hemist him there is. Yes. This actually, this is a good jumping off point for a, a, another interesting discussion I had this week. And I'll preface this by saying, I, I'm not sure that I agree with this, but it's an interesting thought process. And, and the, the jumping off point for this or, or how we got to this is having a conversation with a, a, a well-known, very accomplished big dollar bracket racer. Uh, basically in regards to our, our discussion between Scotty and, and, and Peter being 1A and 1B, right? And, uh, and he basically, his argument was that it's, it's Scotty and it's not really as close as we tend to think. And, and he went, he had a lot of valid arguments there. Like that's probably for another show at another time. But the one that he brought up that I found interesting was, you know, we sing the praises of Peter Biondo because for both of us, Jed, uh, and I think rightfully so, it's insanely impressive to just roll in, you know, a couple, three times a year and seemingly not miss a beat, you know, just not only win, but do it in, in dominating fashion, like in the way that we were used to seeing Peter Biondo win 20 years ago. Um, and, and this racer's argument was like, yeah, I guess that's impressive. He says, but at some point, um, like what Scotty has done over the last decade is, is almost more impressive. And Scotty's had his ins and outs of, you know, going racing and, and, and kind of taking a, a step back from the sport as well. But he says he's been much more visible. And when you're out there week after week, 
like it becomes more humanizing to the to the competition in terms of like we we get to see Scotty make bad runs, right? He says the the argument that he made was when when Peter rolls in or when champ rolls in, cause he's, he's on a pretty limited schedule or, um, or maybe, you know, in this current moment, Hunter Patton, he says, when those guys roll in, it's like, it's like we saw Bigfoot, you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's an intimidation factor because they never race with us. And when they do, they have so much success that it's, it's, it's like you're, you're really up against a mountain when you run them. Whereas when you run someone that is there week in and week out, that obviously wins more than their share, but that you see, you know, the human side of, you see them go red, you see them be 30 on the tree occasionally, it makes it more realistic that, Hey, they're beatable. And just from a mindset standpoint, that shifts. I don't, like I said, I don't know that I agree with that, Jed, but it was an interesting argument. Definitely an interesting argument and a great, uh, I guess perspective of how one competes versus the other. I, I'm of the mind that the less opportunities you give yourself, the harder it is to win. I just feel like, you know, seat time and weather conditions and just, you know, stuff, everything that you, that you roll up after a race day and, and review, you just can't get, too much of that data and you can't get too many opportunities too much seat time on a long tree or a fast tree or a tall tree or a short tree i just feel like you know once you get all that so many times it it becomes easier so i feel like peter's path may be a little more difficult but i certainly can understand why one would feel just the opposite uh with the, the whole bigfoot analogy and i i I don't know that one path is is clearly diff, more difficult than the other. Both are very difficult, whether you're out there every week or whether you just get out there three, four, five times a year. But again, you're talking about guys with the weight of the world on their shoulders. The expectations of them are higher than anybody else in racing. You just feel like their wind light's going to come on every time they go down the track, whether they, they race once a year or 50 times a year. And they both continue to, to perform on the big stage on a high level and, and do it, you know, obviously better than anybody else, plenty, and get that final wind light. So I can see both sides of this again whether you think one's better than the other or one will go down in history as better than the other, that'll be a debate that will go forever. And, you know, probably decades after they're done. Um, but again, to me, I just, I feel I, I would be willing to debate with anyone that giving yourself very few opportunities makes it more difficult and, you know, for that to me just seems like Peter's path is a little harder, but it doesn't mean that I think he's better than Scotty or uh, certainly I don't think Scotty's better than him. Uh, for me, they, it's the whole 1A, 1B um, debate there or, or scenario that you've laid out many times here on the show. Those guys are just on another level, the two of them. And they do it kind of two different ways too. And it's, it's really impressive to watch either one of them. They are, they're absolutely in my opinion on, on another level. And I'll, I'll go ahead and, and state very clearly as I, as I get into what I'm about to say that I, in saying this, like I am not putting myself on that level. I, I, I 
I, they don't have any business being there, but from a, from an experience standpoint, I have gone down the road in recent years of going from racing, you know, every time that there's a track open, you know, 40 weeks a year, multiple times a day or multiple days a week, um, to this year being a little bit of an exception. We've raced more this season to this point than we have in probably the last five years, but gone to really picking and choosing events. And what I'll say, like from a, from a personal mindset standpoint is I feel like the swings are far, far more dramatic when I don't race as often, like to the extent that I'll compare myself to, to Scotty or or Peter, it, it would be that, you know, like got decades of experience racing at a high level and over time have built up a, a pretty significant confidence in, in what I might be capable of on the racetrack. Right. And regardless of how much or how little I race, like that database is always there. And I feel like you can, you can dip into it. Right. When I say that the swings are more dramatic, when I haven't raced in a month and I roll into a 50 grander, if I get rolling immediately, it's like this huge boost of confidence because like, yeah, I'm him, right? Like I am, I'm, I'm back like this stuff. I don't, I don't have to race all the time. Like I'm just, drawing, <laughs> you know, I got it. And, and that can really carry me through by the same token, the instance that I struggle, it can really get in my head. Like, Oh, you know, like I, I know what it feels like to be at the tip of the sword and I'm not there. You know what I mean? Like I I haven't raced in a while. I'm rusty. And that self-doubt, like you can go, it's easy for me at least. And again, I'm not Scotty. I'm not Peter. It's easy to go down a rabbit hole. And, and that, that subtle change in confidence, like, I think we can all agree, like that's usually the difference between having success and not having success. So I, what I think is impressive about what Peter does is like, it is the ultimate, like him is Tim, right? Like it, it's from the outside. He never has that self-doubt. It's like, yeah, I don't have to race that often. And I can come in and still perform at the level that I'm accustomed to. Maybe he doesn't feel that way in his darkest moments, but it sure looks that way from the outside. Right. So I think there's, I think there's validity on both sides of that. Like say, that's my experience is, is not that you can't go perform at a high level when you don't race all the time, particularly if you've got that significant database, but the ability to maintain that swagger when you don't race much, I, I think is really, really impressive. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, you know, uh, I've raced with Peter. I haven't got to race closely with Scotty. Uh, like, you know, as a somewhat of a teammate, I have done that with Peter and, you know, like for me, when I go to the track, even a track I've been to every week, the first time I let go, I mean, you know, there's times I think, yeah, I let go good. Or I, I thought that was good. And then the the numbers are what they are. And if it's not exactly what I thought, I begin to question. So I need two or three hits before I'm comfortable. Peter, you know, I've seen him get in like my car and he'll let go and he'll be like, you know, I, I'm going to roll just a little bit out. I, I hit that pretty good, but I, I think I got seven or eight more thou in me if I let go when I want to or when I should. And, and then I'm going to, so I'm going to pull three out and that'll be a total of 10 or 11. I'm, I mean, it, the guy's incredible, just his recognition of 
of what happened and his his recollection of it you know from start to finish you know the car car felt good uh, you know did this did that I, you know it's just incredible to me what he's able to process in his mind in a very short period of time but I, I have to assume Scotty's the same way I mean I, I've watched Scotty dominate for decades and you know I would think he's exactly the same way so I'm sure there's many greats that that have that same skill or or you know one of many but to me that was just another on another level like what what that caliber of racer is is comfortable believing to me was super impressive because I just obviously I'm never going to be at that level but I it takes me a little bit to get comfortable believing that you know the car's doing what it's supposed to and I'm doing what I'm supposed to where you know the greats like Scotty and Peter they make one lap and they're Okay, I know exactly what I did first time I've ever let go of that button or sat in that seat. And I know exactly what I did and I'm ready from here on out. That, that to me is what separates those guys or one of the things that separate them. No, 100%. Like they I, just, again, focusing on those two, having been around them, having raced with them each a lot over the years, I think it's fair to say that they express that self-confidence in, in maybe a little bit different ways, you know, in, in ways that are unique to them but they both exude it like to a level that I'm not sure. I wouldn't say I've seen, I wouldn't say that I haven't seen elsewhere, but it's just like, they, they, they know that they're that damn good, you know? (laughs) And, and, and that knowledge that you, you, you know, you can bring that to the starting line every, every round, like that's a pretty big feather in your hat. And, and, and that's something that they've earned. So yeah, I, I think that's all really well said. I'm going to, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here. And, and this has nothing to do with, with the discussion that we just had. I, I feel like I'm interjecting it into the show somewhere At one time, big Jed years ago, I don't even, I don't even remember what we called the segment, but we went through a phase here on the podcast where I would just rant about something just completely off the wall and, and preach, right? Like we went through a phase where we did that. Am I dreaming that up? No, no, no. You're, you're remembering that very well. We, we did have a, a rant segment. Thankfully, we, we got away from that, but I've got a rant, Jed. I loved your rants and I'm very excited for this one as well. Let's bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> rants are back the world according to luke so, yeah while everything's back, back just make rants one of those things <laughs> i i think and i'm gonna piss some people off that's fine um what yeah uh, yeah you because haven't done that this, in a while either so you, you're due this is this is coming to me from two very specific situations and i'm gonna do my best to, to outline them very broadly because it's not the people involved, or it's not the specific situations that I want to talk about, but I just, I'm getting this sense across social media. And this ranges from, from NHRA competition to big dollar bracket races to, to local events. And I, I just feel this, this tension, like this kind of sense of entitlement among racers. And I really think a lot of this is just rooted in the tension in society today, like inflation, the cost of, of that's what they said, like the cost of racing, if nothing else, the cost of going down the road. And just the idea that we've talked about this before, like you fork over a lot of money at the race. And then it just, it feels like it gives you permission to be really upset when anything isn't perfect. Right. You feel like you, yeah. you deserve that because entitled, you yes. so much. Yeah. Entitlement is probably the right word. Um, there's a couple of situations that jumped to mind. Like I saw this one where there was 
I don't even know the, the complete details, but there's a pairing like late in a race. And for whatever reason, like the, the starter tried to shut the cars off during the staging process. And it was late enough in the staging process that they actually got in. Well, one car saw the one lane, saw the starter, try to shut them off and shut off on the starting line. And the other lane didn't make the run and, and felt like, you know, Hey, I, I, I won. And there's an argument ensued, whatever they want to rerun. And then apparently ultimately they agreed to rerun. And so the rerun happens. And of course the, the racer that, that thought they won the first time or that did essentially win the first time lost the rerun and then was up in arms like, oh, we should get, you know, money for winning that round or money for advancing to the final or winning the race or whatever it was. And I'm like, okay, like I understand the, the thought process there, but ultimately like you agreed to a rerun. So that means you agreed to the possibility of losing the rerun. Like, I feel like this conversation doesn't happen if you don't lose. So I feel like you, you just, you just like vetoed your, 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 your power there when you agree to rerun. Like if it's wrong, say it's wrong. And no, I'm not going to rerun. Right. Like once, once you, or maybe the racetrack says like, look, you're going to rerun or you're going to get nothing. But once you stage on the rerun, like that's the one that matters. And there's a similar situation at a, at a, at a bigger event where the, I saw a racer was up in arms because um, another racer had changed their dial in. And then come to find out, like I read further down the thread, well, yeah, they, the racer did change their dial in because before they staged, it rained and they were down for like an hour and brought them back to the lanes. And I don't like at some point you realize that that racer changed their dial in. Like if you're not comfortable with that, you say something before the round. When you say something after the round, it makes it look like you're just a sore loser. Like you accepted it, you staged, you raced, it's over. Yeah, <laughs> I just I just feel like we're at this stage where people are looking for a reason to be pissed off. That, that probably doesn't have anything to do with the opponent, the, the, the race promoter, the, the race itself. Like we're just that much on edge. And so I, I like if this is the preachy part, like I just can I encourage you, the listener, take a deep breath. It's all going to be OK. We're racing. Just kind of think things through a little bit. Like I, again, I don't know the details of either of those particular situations, and I think anybody involved in them probably realizes I'm talking about them, right? Maybe I'm wrong, but I just read that and be like, eh, really think you got a reason to be pissed off here? But whatever, it's my right. I think that's I think that's valid, Luke. Uh, certainly, you know, promoting races, I, I have seen my share of. Uh, it wasn't an issue until my opponent's win light come on. And then, you know, it, it, everything that happened from the time I buckled in to the time I got my ticket was wrong. But you were never made aware of it until I lost. So I think there's a fair portion of that, not only in racing, but in life. I think that's the case in baseball and football and any kind of sport where there's a competition going on between you and anyone else, whether it's team or individual, I think that's just our society. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to lump racers into their own specific category um, from a human nature point, because I think that's just who people are. I, I think the same people that do that on the track do it in, in their other phases of their life too, and at work and so on and so forth. So I, I truly uh, understand your point and, would 
would love for people to take the advice to just slow down and, you know, just calm yourself down and, and go through the motions and accept whatever, whatever result that you agreed to, to compete for prior to, to your rant or for whatever, lack of better word, rant, but your, your argument, your discussion, whatever. So uh, I think, um, you know, in, in the end, if you're that easily rattled, big money racing might not be the stage that's, that's perfect for you. Um, you know, if I, if I knew those individuals and I was just hardcore, I'd, I might would go to them prior to us running and tell them their mama's fat and, you know, their sister's ugly and, um, you know, just try to get them all stirred up and get them pissed off if that's, if that's what makes them lose. Because once you burn out, you know, most people go to the, to the starting line with a sound mind and a, a, you know, a good clear thought process and it all gets stirred up just as soon as the other wind light comes on. Then you remember everything you hated about what, what they did and what the promoter did and everything else. So uh, great rant. Loved it, man. That's a good point, man. If you're that on edge, like what are you going to do when you roll down at nine cars in the million and Kenny Underwood says, <laughs> let's race for it. All of it. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, think about it. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. All right. Let's transition NHRA action on the weekend. We had a national event, Epping, New Hampshire. We had a couple of points meets. Uh, we'll lead off in Epping, and I and I want to start by just handing over the the national championship trophy, Big Jet. It's over. Yeah, Keith you, Mayers, congratulations, Keith. You are the 2022 NHRA Super Street World Champion. Over. It's over. I, I know that we don't actually award a Super Street National Champion. I've never understood that. I feel like we should, but if we did. Keith Mayers wins, hands down. He's been to four events. He didn't win at Epping. And we're leading talking Epping. We're leading Epping talking about Keith Mayers. He was in the final round of Super Street through three Division I uh, Lucas Oil Series events up to this point. He had a runner-up in Atco, a win in Maple Grove, a win in Cecil County. At another off weekend at Epping, he's runner-up. I think he was 5-thou red, 90 with a zero in the final. Had a 3-thou package somewhere along the way. Keith Mayers, Super Street national champion write it down it's over yeah and you said you know we don't award that we do but the nhra the nhra doesn't he's him the him is him (laughs) won't get me a sticker i'm getting me a sticker made keith bears runner up to john olson um like i said fourth nhra appearance fourth final round Timothy Stickles, second uh, national event stock eliminator win in the last uh, calendar year. And I think it's even a little bit tighter window than that. I'd say like within the eight, within the last eight months, eight months. Yeah. I feel uh, like that was a fall win for for Timothy at Charlotte, I believe. And so score one for the slow stock eliminator cars, M stock automatic, uh, the Stickles Malibu. And that, as we'll see, as we kind of traverse the NHRA waters uh, this week, that slow stock eliminator win was a bit of a trend. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and they got slower. <laughs> Eric Merrifield, first time winner in super stock, home track, home event. Uh, cool story. Good for Eric. There was, there was several um, first time area winners. Eric stood out to me, got the super stock win over 
double O Joe Santangelo looked like Santangelo had problems in the final. Uh, we had mentioned a week ago that uh, Santangelo's first appearance on the NHRA tour this season was a week prior in Maple Grove where he won stock. Here he goes to uh, the final round in Superstock before coming up short to Eric Merrifield. Uh, so Santangelo's off to a tr strong start, and uh, I we can we, I, I got to bask in the glow of this. That was an all elite Superstock final. We actually paid out a ton of contingency. That hurt a little bit at Epping. We had a lot of finalists, but it's always cool to see two of our members <laughs> go to the final round, and that was the case in Superstock. Yeah, good to see the elite guys and gals getting it done. Big Jed, uh, score one for the ladies. Uh, this was this was um, news from the week from NHRA Division Four. I think we had mentioned uh, on a previous episode that uh, longtime D four director Trey Caps was uh, let go, like relieved of those duties. I don't really know the story behind that, nor do I care. Um, his uh, assistant, um, Maddie Adesh, was named the new Division Four director. The reason that that really makes news, Big Jed. This was a bit. I don't know. I found it a bit surprising in a way. And then I thought about it and realized maybe, it, maybe it's not as surprising as I think Maddie Adesh is the first female to hold that post, to hold the, the title of NHRA division director. So obviously congratulations to her. What, what do you make of that? Is, is that surprising to you that it, it's in 2022 before we, we have our first female division director? Um, not surprising, Luke, because as we know, this is a male-dominated sport for obvious reasons. It's full of gearheads and, and, and people that's been doing this since childhood, and not a lot of females desire to position themselves where the males do in a gearhead sport. So, um, yeah, it's somewhat surprising. Um, it, it is surprising from a gender standpoint, but not surprising from a from a personal standpoint, um, everything I've seen and read and heard about Maddie is, is, is phenomenal. She's very highly respected in that division. Uh, I've seen nothing but people excited for her and excited for the future of the division as a result of her hiring. So she's obviously a high quality individual, regardless of, of her gender. Um, she's, you know, entrenched in our sport. Uh, was an assistant director and now been moved to the head spot. So um, there, there are some surprises, yes, and some that are no. But, um, you know, as far as the gender side of it, it's not surprising. Um, just, I mean, what, what are we, 99.993% male in this sport? So they, they have very few opportunities to, to be in this position, Maddie has taken obviously full advantage of um, her desire to progress through the division four um, power scale or, or, or um, um, what am I trying to say, your org chart. And, uh, and it's worked out well for her. So excited. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't anticipate she's gonna, gonna make this a gender thing herself. I think she's just gonna continue on and, and make great decisions for the division and, and do a really good job for him. Yeah, similar to you, Jed, I, I don't have a lot of personal dealings with, with Maddie, emailed back and forth a couple of times. 
um, but by all accounts, like is is deserving of this position, has uh, has been a, a lifer, if you will, within our sport prior to uh, her assistant director role. She had been track manager at a couple of NHRA facilities. So it's not like uh, she's new to this at all. And again, like from a from a personal standpoint, I think all of us can say like rooting for her because as whether or not this is surprising, it is groundbreaking. And with that comes a fair amount of pressure uh, on her. So I, I hope that not only for her sake, but for the sake of, you know, there, this is, this is groundbreaking and, and it, she's the first won't be the last, right? She could pave the way for, for many more um, ladies within the sport to hold similar positions, obviously, without trying to put too much of the weight on her shoulders. Back to your point, everything that you said is, is resonates with me and, and, and is largely was my, my thought process as well in that initially when I read first female director ever, I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of surprising, right? Like, I feel like we're as a sport, we're stuck in the sixties. And then I thought about it and thought about the demands of that particular position, because as we've kind of joked about before, there's a lot of roles in our sport that I don't envy at all. But the role of division director is really near the top of the list. Like you're not going to be anyone's that you're not gonna have a lot of fans in that role, right? It's just it's a not it's usually a, it's a difficult job. And to your point, it, we we live in such a male-dominated sport. And when you have to be the the authority, right? As a, a just from a, a uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like a, a traditional sense or a, um, that's not the right word. Um, I, I think it's easy to say like, it would be difficult for a woman to come into such a male dominated sport and, and command that type of authority. I feel like that's the, probably the way that we've looked at it for, for decades. Um, and, but I, I do, I would like to think we're at a point where that is, that, that can, that, perception can be reversed. And I hope that Maddie's the person to do it. I would love to see that going forward. So she's, uh, she's carrying the flag for uh, uh, a lot of, uh, of women that have been movers and shakers in our sport. And uh, like I say, if nothing else, uh, I'm rooting for both personally and to, uh, to kind of move that bar forward for the females. Yeah, I agree. Um, certainly, you know, it, 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 it's gotten my eyes on the division four director for the first time in my life. I, I, couldn't have cared less who was doing it prior to Maddie. So if nothing else, it's created awareness from divisions far, far away from there to, to see how it goes for. I'm, I'm certainly rooting for, I want it to go extremely well. And, you know, I, if, if it, if it's a failed venture, you know, I hope no one chalks it up to her being a female is the reason right. uh, obviously the the male before her and the male before him and the male before him have gone by the wayside for whatever reason so you know i'm sure it's an extremely difficult job you're you're uh, you're dealing with track owners that um probably have a long list of issues and things that they want fixed and then the racers that list is extremely long of things they want to see changed or fixed. And uh, you're dealing with a lot of high profile personalities too. And uh, of course, staff and weather and all the other things division director has to, to deal with for events. So it's a challenging job, but I look forward to seeing how Maddie adapts to it and performs. I'm sure it will, 
will go very well for. Hardest thing, I think, for me, if I was to, to take on a position like division director, I love it, Jed, when, when people pat me on the back. Like, I wouldn't say that I live for it, but I, I like being told, hey, that was good. You, you, you did a good job. You were right. I don't think division directors get told that very often. I think all that's brought to division directors' attention, at least from a racer standpoint, is everything that's wrong. And that would just wear me out, man. Yeah, it'd be like putting on a race every week. Uh, yeah, <laughs> really. true. true. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, I'm sure she will get her share of that. But um, having been the assistant director, she's seen plenty yeah. of those issues and seeing how you do handle them and how you don't handle them. So I'm sure her experience alone is going to give her a, a, a really good perspective and um, a, a good idea of how you should take care of certain issues with certain people. So no doubt in my mind, she's prepared and ready. All right, let's get back to a little bit of on-track racing. Like I said, we had two Lucas Oil Series division races, one Division Three, one Division Five. We'll start in Norwalk, Summit Raceway Park, Norwalk, Ohio, the second Division Three event on the 2022 schedule and the second victory for one defending NHRA top dragster. I hate the word defending. Let me, let me rephrase that. Reigning NHRA top dragster world champion, Blake Peevler. It's his second event of the year. It's his second win of the year. He's representing that one on the scoop pretty darn well, Big Jet. He's undefeated in 2022. Yeah, pretty good start. <laughs> pretty good start for Blake. Uh, that's, um, you know, that's how you dream. That's that's the start you dream of. So Blake's off to that. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a tough, tough category with a lot of great competition. So he'll, he'll have to continue to perform well, but um, he doesn't start any better than that. No, that's uh, what was it? Bertozzi used to say, uh, "You can't win them all if you don't win the first one." Yeah, same like, for the first won two. The first two. <laughs> yeah. pretty, pretty good start. Pretty good. Uh, Joey Fusting was your Super Comp winner at Norwalk, and the reason I wanted to bring attention to that, and this seems to be a trend this season. I guess it should be no surprise because the the runs we see in the 890 category are probably most resemble um, what we're used to seeing in eighth mile bracket racing, right from the NHRA ranks. Joey Fusting put up a really impressive box score in Norwalk, capped off by a 1,000th package in the final round. Now he got a victory over Rob Goins. Uh, he went 90. This is, again, like quarter-mile index racing. Like, it's you bracket racers that go like, yeah, I go dead on all day long. Like, it's it's you stretch this thing out, you don't get to pick your own dial in, and you run it over a couple of days. It's hard to go dead on every lap. Joey Fusting, six rounds of Super Comp, went 94 times. And when he missed it, he was way off. The two misses, he went 91-1 and 89-6. That's pretty impressive. Um, it, yeah. And if winning the event in the, the dominating fashion that he did wasn't enough, um, this is pretty commonplace at divisionals. We never talk much about it because it's not a huge deal. But there is a, a shootout race Saturday night. It's uh, the, the top eight. The best eight runs typically from the last uh, qualifying session get to run off in a, in a super class shootout. Well, Joey Fusting runnered up that and then went on to win the main event. So nearly ran the table at Norwalk and did so in really impressive fashion. Luke, six rounds, he missed going dead on by on, on all six rounds by six thousandths of a second. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's incredible. Uh, especially when, and 
it's very easy and it's it's easy in eighth mile bracket racing or any other but it's very easy to let the other's track position impact where you end up on the dial and I know those rounds couldn't have worked out just right where he was rolling through a few thou to go dead on. I mean, it, it, there had to have been some drops and some some wide opens here or there. And to do that for six rounds and miss going dead on on all six of them by only six thousands. Remarkable, incredible, amazing. Just keep putting words in there. But uh, Joey Fusting, that was a hell of a performance, sir. No, to your point, like there's two facets to that. Obviously, when you when you see numbers like that, you say, wow, that's that's got to be a great race car. Yes. But it's also to your point, specifically in that category, that requires a ton of discipline on behalf of the driver to allow that great race car to look like a great race car. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome job. Tebow strikes again. Tyler Bohannon, uh, two weeks in a row, holding a Wally, different category, and, and obviously a, a completely different skill set than the one that we saw him showcase towards the end of 2021. Yeah, quite a bit different, uh, you know, getting a win in Superstock. That's, uh, that shows uh, some bottom bulb talent, and uh, obviously it's a category, again, it's quarter mile, and, you know, these aren't alcohol-breathing uh, 950 APD-carbed hot rods these things move around a little here and there and uh, they're they're very um, subject to move when the weather changes a little bit that they can move uh, quite a bit so um, really good job by Tebow happy to see him get another big win and, and collect another Wally and he's a he's a talented young man as we know and just wins like this just continue to highlight uh, his complete skill set Scored the win over Larry Hodge. Tebow, impressive box score. Never worse than 29 off the bottom. Speaking of impressive box scores, Larry Hodge, told you, runner-up, he was gnarly, Big Jed. He was uh, 41 first round, red in the final. And the five rounds in between, never worse than 10. 10. Yeah, that's mean. That's Uh, mean, Luke. That's that's, that's very mean. Uh, Larry Hodge, runner-up in Norwalk, also semi'd in Indy. Um, so not quite Blake Peevler, but off to a really good start in the division three super stock ranks, uh, epic semifinal, by the way, too. two, two guys that we've spent a lot of time talking about here on the show, Tyler Bohannon obviously wins the race. So we know the outcome of his semifinal matchup with Pete Dagnolo, but given those two, like that's a highly anticipated round. And this was one that lived up to the hype. Tyler was 13 dead six and needed every bit of it. In fact, you might say that he was fortunate to win the round. Pete Dagnolo, 004, 21 above to be, what's that, six thou behind? Pretty pretty nasty little Superstock semi there. Very nasty Superstock semi, and, and certainly no surprise. I mean, those two guys get together. It, it's bound to be nasty uh, probably about 89 times out of 100, but uh, that's, a, that's a really impressive run. But um, you know, Pete D doesn't normally uh, come up short on those. He normally gets the better end of it, but uh, that one, that one slipped by him just a little bit. Yeah. Dagnolo was actually, he was trending toward a a double. I I believe he, I think it was the semis, a competition eliminator as well. Semis of both and and dropped them both that round. So basically does as well as you can do without making any money to speak of at a division race, but good for points. And, And I would assume one of Pete's first outings of the season. So off to a pretty good start as well. Um, we talked about 
Timothy Stickles and his M stock automatic Malibu victory at Epping. Travis Booth said, well, Tim, I will see your M stock automatic and raise you too. Yeah. You get to chase big man. <laughs> Travis Booth gets the Norwalk victory in his O stock automatic Mustang. What's most impressive about this big Jed? Again, there have been two division three races this season. Travis Booth been uh, channeling his inner Blake Peevler. He was runner up at Indy in the same said O stock automatic Mustang. And then followed that up with a victory dialed in the 13 second range in the same O-Stock Automatic Mustang at Norwalk. Yeah, good stuff. Happy to see this for Travis Booth, um, a guy I've raced with quite a bit. He's competed at our events. Uh, I know you've raced with him quite a bit there in the Midwest. Uh, um, talented family. He and his brother Ellis, both great racers. They This O-Stock car is their faster stocker. Um, I, I think their, uh, their Ford Ranger is, <laughs> I don't know, it's like a, like a U-Stock or, I mean, it's way up there. That, that thing, I think, runs in a 15. So, you know, he's probably having to sit on that tree just a little bit, used to hitting that spot in that Ranger, but really, um, really impressive performance. You know, you, you don't see O stockers out there very often, Luke, for a reason, because it's, you're looking out the back window quite a bit, and it's challenging to make those things get anywhere in the same century when the weather's changing and the wind's changing, but the Booth family makes it look pretty easy and they're slower stockers and that's just a testament to their talent these guys are talented talented racers and happy to see ot booth get them a big win there yeah and no surprise to anyone in this area those guys are highly regarded for good reason uh really good in slower cars getting chased like that's that's not out of their comfort zone whatsoever and, and travis multi-time uh, track champion in this area uh he's he's won the he, he the division three et finals and gone on to pomona so again no shock but again like jody lang tim stickles the list goes on um in a day and age where stock eliminator just like every other category is getting more and more technology and cars are getting faster and, and presumably cars are getting better it's pretty cool to see 13 second stalkers still getting it done. So kudos to Travis Booth. The last event that we want to talk about this weekend, Big Jed, Division 5. Um, I believe it's the second event also on the Division 5 tour. Went to Brainerd, Minnesota over the weekend where Jared Hudars 1120 G-Stock Automatic Camaro was by far, Big Jed, the fastest stock eliminator winner of the weekend. Normally you would look at that car and go, okay, well, he's getting chased down all day. That's, that's cool. That's a good story. They, they've had the most power anybody. Yeah, that's, that's pretty rare where that's going to be your fastest um, stock winner of the weekend in a, in a you know, multi-winner event. Um, but 11.20 for a G-Stocker don't sound too shabby, Luke. I don't know what the index is for that, but I'd say old Jared Hutar's blowing index away with that 1120 yeah hooters fast i think uh like up in that area it's usually a safe bet to say that that's line power like they got oh, two-thirds yeah. of the field but yeah, yeah if, if he's a second plus under that's, that's that's probably jason line had something to do with that yeah no surprise that the lines are, are tuning on your hot rod because they make big power for sure michael chitty got the uh, top sportsman win at easy Eight, yeah, careful there. Careful. <laughs> Michael Chitty got the top sportsman win at Brainerd. Michael Chitty with an eight thou package in the final round to win top sportsman. And, and basically, 
that's what's needed to defeat JJ Bear. JJ uh, won in Great Bend just a few weeks ago. Um, again, trying to channel his inner Blake Peevler. He comes up one round short of the uh, the season opening double. Again, win in Great Bend, runner up in Brainerd to Michael Chitty. Yeah, that was a Chitty win. Uh, that was that was a really really good deal. That was uh, I mean that's a Chitty run. That's that's the kind of run people are trying to make. So <laughs> that is one. Good it's, job. A, it's a very it's a it's a it's a Chitty run that we that that Michael is is used to making, and it's a Chitty run if you're in the other lane. Yeah, I make a lot of Chitty runs, but they they're not 008 packages. So great <laughs> job, Michael. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> nice work. But, but Luke, what I love the most about those results is there's a Jared and a JJ in the results. I mean, that's there's nothing Chitty about that. There is nothing Chitty about that. That's right. That's that's good stuff. <laughs> we only focused on on two finals, three names, and you got a Jared and a JJ. Good catch. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> uh, I think that's going to wrap up this week. We'll have uh, more obviously on the horizon next week, another big week uh, coming up. We've got uh, a triple header of NHRA Lucas oil series events. Uh, we go to division one, Lebanon Valley division four goes to Tulsa division six goes to Seattle. Plus uh, really similar to this week. We've got a trio of big dollar bracket races that uh, I assume will catch our attention as well. Uh, the Triple Threat Series comes back to Virginia Motorsports Park. The Ultimate 64 rolls into Killcare, and uh, our friends over at Loose Rocker will host the uh, the Bigfoot uh, Footbreak event at Galat this weekend. So we should have plenty to talk about next week, Jed. Yeah, going to be a lot to talk about. I'm excited about that. Um, no offense to any of the other events, but really looking forward to that Loose Rocker Bigfoot event um, with a with a Bigfoot break race of my own coming up on the horizon here in a few weeks. Um, want to see how this thing turns out and see if uh, if there's a hot driver or two from the Bigfoot race that's going to roll in Bristol uh, on fire, so to speak. So looking forward to all that, Luke, uh, but that does wrap us up. We would uh, we would be remiss if we did not mention the passing of, uh, of another legend in our sport, uh, Tony Christian, a guy that was a, a trailblazer well ahead of his time with speed and power and, you know, I guess – uh, engineering in the hot rods you know he, he was building cars in the 80s that would look a lot like uh, a low riding tube chassis hot rod today a uh, guy was just way ahead of his time and certainly somebody that made his mark on the sport at, at a very high level and uh, one consistent word that I've seen through social media today when people were discussing his passing was legend. I know that that you've had some interaction as well with with Tony Luke. So uh, I know that uh, that you understand his legendary status as well as as anyone. No, that's we throw that term around a lot, but that's like for whatever reason, that's the first word that comes to mind uh, when I think about. Tony Christian, like he was very much the himist him, right? He was, uh, I got, I got the opportunity to, to spend a lot of time around Tony at a really young age. Um, I was telling you off air jet when I was, uh, involved and, and actually, you know, I spent my, my summers at 12 and 13 years old, uh, working at Texas Raceway in Kennedale, Texas. And, I don't really, it's not completely clear now looking back. I, I believe that Tony lived in that area at the time. If, if not, he spent a lot of time there and he was close with the, the owners and the management 
at Texas Raceway. So I got to be around him a, a fair amount. Like I said, I was probably a little bit too young to, to have a lot of great Tony Christian stories per, specifically, but just uh, everything, I was around him enough to say that everything that you read and every interview that you see at Tony Christian, like every crazy story that you hear, it was true. Like he was that dude. He was gregarious. <laughs> he was loud. To me at 12, 13 years old, he was very intimidating, but he was just completely told it like it is center of attention. And during that time when I was around him was really at the height of his um, NMCA fame. You know, he was running that, that shoe box. And I remember him having match races there with Annette Summer and Pat Musi and, and that stuff drew a lot of attention there. And, and he was as much a showman as he was a tremendous driver. And obviously prior to that, had had success in NHRA Pro Stock. The, my impression of Tony was that he could drive anything uh, and, and would tell you about it. Like just a, it was a fun interview. It was, I don't think there's ever been another John Force, but similar bloodlines in terms of the way that he presented himself both in person and on character or on camera, I should say. He was a character, I think is where I was going with that. But uh, yeah, Tony, I've got nothing but great memories and uh, um, definitely will be missed. Yeah, not, not a not a person at races and categories that we discuss a lot here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, but but a man that made a huge impact on the sport that we love, um, regardless of what category he was in, and certainly someone that uh, is going to be missed by many. So thoughts and prayers out to the Christian family and, and everyone impacted by his loss. Luke, that wraps us up. Um, what a good show, man. We, we talked about a lot of good stuff here, and we obviously have highlighted what's around the corner and going to get to talk about plenty more going forward. Uh, listeners, we thank you for listening this long. If you uh, got something, you know, that's rel rel relative, excuse me, to this show that you want to discuss or, or put out there on social media, go to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can put it right out there for the public, or you can send it through private message and producer Mark while he's on vacation this week. We'll uh, snag it up and let us know about it, but we'd love to hear from you. We always love hearing from the listeners. So go to the Facebook page there and tell us what you're thinking about any subject we talked about today or any subject that's on your mind. Lucas, shout time. I'm sure you got some good ones. Shouts to all the JJs and all the Jareds. Shouts to Michael Chitty. He's him. Shouts to <laughs> Keith Mayers. He's the himmest. Shouts. No, not even shouts. Happy trails to my rants. We're not going to do that very often. I don't know why I felt compelled, but there it was. And shouts to Scotty because he's back and he is the retract everything I just said. He's the himmest. The Hemist him. Shouts to the Hemist. Good list. Appreciate that, Luke. Guys, we love to tweet. Uh, I don't know, Luke, are, are you back active on the Twitter now? I got it on the desktop. I check in okay. weekly. Okay, I've seen some stuff, so uh, I thought you were back. So tweet us. We love to be tweeted, or as Bobby Graham would say, twatted. But either way, let us know what's up. Tweet us. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. Want to hear from you early and often. You can't send us too much stuff. We like hearing from the listener, both of you. But guys, we appreciate you tuning in. We got a lot to talk about next week, and we can't wait to talk to you then about more Sportsman Drag Race. Early 
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.